Listening Dog Media. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Yes! Oh, yes! The Offside Rule We Get It is brought to you by Continental Tires. Hello and a very warm welcome to the Offside Rule. We get it supported by Continental Tyres, getting you to the game safely. Myself, Kate Borsay, playing host this week. And I'm joined by the ever-gorgeous Mina Rizuki. Hi, Mina. Hi, how are you? Very well. And the studious-looking Lindsay Hooper, who's studying her phone with great intent. I hope you've got some pearls of wisdom for us later. I have to look studious. <laughs> yeah, you do today. Oh, <laughs> it must be the purple. I think it was the backpack on your back, kind of student style. Oh, well, that's my new investment. It's to make sure that I don't walk around lopsided anymore. <laughs> yeah, because that's such a huge problem for you normally, isn't it? Yeah, it has been mentioned when I've been presenting. Your one shoulder looks slightly further down than the other. Yes, that's because I use a heavy bag when I'm reporting. Now I've got the rucksack. There we go. <laughs> um, well, we've got more odd stuff like that coming up on the podcast today. What a treat we've got in store for you. A bit later on, as a bit of an ode to Mother's Day, I know it's past, but there's no reason why us mums can't drag the celebration on for longer, is there? Uh, we're going to be talking about mums the word so basically players mums maybe they inspired their son to become football players maybe they've got unusual jobs maybe we've got some interesting tidbits of information on players mums very important in most of their careers they are too we're also going to be talking relegation as well not just in the premier league as crisis hits newcastle sam allardyce is coming out with all sorts of funny lines as to how he's feeling at the moment after conceding a draw to southampton and of course aston villa it really 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 does not look good for that club at all. I'm not sure that there's a way back for them, but not just in the Premier League. As I said, we're also going to be speaking European relegation with Mina Rizuki as well. We have to make sure that we tap into your expertise whilst you're here, Mina. And then multi-buys. Now, this isn't me going down this to test. This is you. This is your name for the topic, and I can just imagine you being in like macros getting the multi-buys. <laughs> you're not a multi-buy person, are you, Mina? No, I'm a, I'm a <laughs> use it once, bin it. <laughs> I don't think they do multi-buys in Selfridges, do they? <laughs> no, I jest, I jest. It's Harrods. <laughs> Sorry, Harrods. This topic uh, really has been inspired by Neil Warnock, who's signed Paddy Kenny for the fifth time. Some managers, they just love particular players. 
because, well, everyone has favourites, don't they? <laughs> Easy. I'm only joking. Easy. I love the Let's not set our stall out just yet, shall we, Lindsay Hooper? We are a long way off the end of this podcast. <laughs> but seriously, though, Mina, you're my favourite and I'm your favourite, right? <laughs> uh, of course, of course. <laughs> the eye connection had already done all the talking. Wait, I, I, can, I, can I get some money for this or no? <laughs> <laughs> Later on, I'll slip your tenor, love. Uh, OK, uh, those are the topics. Uh, we're going to dive right in. I'm Gary Neville and you're listening to The Offside Rule. So multi-buys, Mina, I bet this happens in Europe a lot as well, doesn't it? Where a particular manager remains faithful to a player. Or doesn't it? Or do they always end up falling out? Do they kind of flit between favourites? You'll find sometimes that there'll be a manager who basically may sign a player twice. I can't actually think of any example where it's been more. The example that comes to my mind when we're talking about multi-buyers or a specific player is an Italian called Fabio Borini, but it's to do with Brendan Rodgers, who seems to have, for some reason, uh, quite a love for him. Um, This is a guy that he described as arguably the best physical player he's ever worked with in terms of his pace power and fitness I mean if really this is the best that you've ever worked with then I'm, I, I, mean, I really don't know what to say um, I imagine this quote came somewhat before Suarez um, <laughs> maybe Brendan Rodgers hasn't worked with the very best of them either way I think that when he signed him for Liverpool at the time he expected that uh, the player or the Italian would manage more than just three goals in 38 games for Liverpool but the two worked together during Rodgers' time at uh, the Chelsea Academy and that was back in 2008 and he seemed to have an affection for him. Then he decided to bring him on loan to Swansea in 2011. I have to say that Brini at the time was very highly regarded in Italy when he was with Roma. And that's perhaps why he cost so much. I think it was around something like 10.5 million when he did come to Liverpool. And everyone imagined he'd do a little bit better than he did. Mm. But uh, perhaps um, Roma were right to sell him. And then so three times they worked together. And uh, I'm yet to understand really why. I know he had his fair share of injury problems at Liverpool, but really he just never, ever performed for them. And he was linked with a move away from the club well before he actually moved, which is never good for a player, is it? Um, Lindsay, who have you dug up? <laughs> well, with my spade, I uncovered Junior Lewis, mm. signed by Peter Taylor a massive six times. Is that a record, do we think? I think it could be up there. Yeah. There probably is one more because I didn't look for the record, but I, it just caught my eye. I won't run through all of his career, but let's just quickly run through the clubs. Dover Athletic, Gillingham, Leicester City, Brighton and Hove Albion, Hull City and Stevenage Borough. So those are your six clubs that he worked with. But not only that, I thought it was interesting that he loved him so much. He then wanted to develop him as a coach. So he goes on to sort of retire and then he oh, says, wow. oh, I'll offer you a couple of coaching roles at two different clubs as well. Does that make it eight or are we still on six? <laughs> I don't know, actually. It's a very good point indeed. Christian Panucci is another one that I should probably oh. send in your direction. Fabio Capello just loved him didn't he? Yes, but you have to say I don't blame him. Panucci is exactly the type of player that you need to create a team unit and I think he was great at that. Not quite sure whether he had the greatest personalities, but you know. Perhaps some insider info there. Fabio Capello signed in for AC Milan, Real Madrid and Roma. Also gave him a coaching role with the Russian national team as well, which obviously didn't go so well. I'm going to mention Harry Redknapp, but only very quickly, because he is the manager who we attribute with all these favourites. Yeah, well, should we all pitch in with a player? Can we do that? Because there were about three or four. I have to go Peter Crouch, Okay. uh, obviously, both at Portsmouth, 2002. But then, of course, Redknapp joined Crouch at St Mary's, so Southampton, 2004. And then he took Peter Crouch to Tottenham. But before that, they'd enjoyed another spell together at Pompey. So I'm just trying to work out how many clubs that is. One, two, 
three, four, I guess four times they both ended up together. Yeah, poor Crouchy. I saw him the other day getting off the train when I was getting on for Manchester Piccadilly uh, from London to go to BBC, and I saw him getting off. I saw him on the bench at Stoke City. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The one I'm going to mention is uh, Jermaine Defoe. Right now, worked with the Sunderland striker at West Ham, then signed him for both Portsmouth and Tottenham. All they really need to do is get reunited in the MLS and then that would be four clubs. Uh, well, I guess when I was at QPR, actually, there's another one, Nico Cranchar, mm. because he'd taken him a few times, hadn't he? He got Nico Cranchar at QPR, but he'd been at Spurs and first signed him Portsmouth. So that, mm. that's three times. Oh, yeah. There isn't any more, I don't think, with that. Three times for Nico Cranchar. That's what I'm going to say. He's a serial offender, though, isn't he, Harry? He must either love that kind of feeling of taking his boys with him. Perhaps he's a real family man in that sense. Or maybe he just knows the agents rather well. (laughs) Now, let's not go down that particular road. Um, I just want to pop a quick one in for fathers and sons. Father and son combos in football, they often follow each other around naturally. But you do start to get a little bit sceptical about that nepotism. I know that Steve Bruce has taken his son Alex uh, to a couple of clubs with him. Blair Sturrock as well, son of Paul Sturrock, has been uh, signed four times by his father in his career. Dundee United, Plymouth Argyle, Swindon Town and Southend United. So when it gets to that four times, you, you start to get a bit suspicious. If I was a footballer and I had a footballing dad and he could get me to any club, I think I'd say, no, I want to do it on my own and see who rates me aside from you. Okay, I think that's a really good point. But what if you're Cesare Maldini and your son is Paolo Maldini? <laughs> and, uh, and you're both quite big in the footballing world. I mean, he didn't do that because, you know, Paolo's obviously been with Milan for the whole time and Cesare's not going to... I think that that would be... It depends on the player, right? And, yeah. and if Zidane and Enzo, who his son yeah. is, who's supposed to be quite good and might just be even better at one stage, and he goes around signing him... Daly Blind and uh, his son as well. So Yeah, true, Daly and Danny. Um, the Cruyffs. <laughs> Nepotism can be accepted, accepted in certain moments, I guess, right? <laughs> Just not five times. <laughs> Follow us on Twitter, at OffsideRulePod, and like our page on Facebook. Simply type in the Offside Rule We Get It. There's only one of us. For our next topic, we're going to talk down in the doldrums. I couldn't think of anything jazzier for this. Let's look at the bottom of the Premier League first, Amina, before we ask you to pick out a couple of, um, I was going to say relegation hopefuls from the European leagues, but of course that's not quite the right phrase to use, is it? Um, Before you pick out a couple of uh, relegation threatened teams from the European leagues. Let's look at the Premier League first of all. As we know, as we record this, Aston Villa uh, bottom on 16. Then you've got a little bit of a jump up there. Eight points difference uh, takes you to Newcastle and then Norwich both on 24, Sunderland on 25. Swansea, again, another little leap, eight points up to Swansea in 16th. So you'd hope that if Swansea keep it consolidated, keep it I guess that they have to not sing and shout about it too much. They've just got to get on with it, haven't they? You'd hope that Swansea were out of it. But I want a couple of relegation picks, Lindsay. Obviously, Villa's the obvious one for us to look at first. And what I hear from behind the scenes is that the players are really just not galvanised at all by Remy Gard. He is not in any way motivating those players at all. And I'm not going to just blame it all on him, but what I'm saying is he really doesn't appear to be the right pick for that club. He had a really tough task coming in. And what I would start by saying is that Aston Villa being my choice, I'm sure it's yours as well, Kate, because you can't really look past them in the Premier League. Um, But I've put down a series of wrong managerial appointments. I can't remember the last time 
that Aston Villa got it right, that they picked a manager that the fans were happy with, that they picked a manager that was fitting to the club and to its history, and they picked a manager that at that time did the right thing. And I think Remy Gard is an, a perfect example of that. They've picked a manager who's starting out, who's thoughtful, who's from the school of Arsene Wenger, the school of French football, wanting to be a man that works with youth players, maybe develops a team over time. That's not one of the things that Aston Villa have. They don't have time. They needed an appointment like your Sam Allardyce at Sunderland, someone, or a Tony Pulis, that sort of character, someone who can shape up the defence because it's leaking goals like there's no tomorrow and maybe put them in with a slight chance of just scraping through and staying in the league. That's not going to happen. Aston Villa are down. The fans know they're down. Aston Villa know they're down. And the worst thing about this with my two other points is that behind the scenes, the club is badly ran as well as being badly managed. There's not been hardly any money spent. I think if you totaled up the wages and the spend from a club of Aston Villa. We're talking former European champions. We're talking a club that have never been outside the top flight in the Premier League. They've not invested. Mm. They've not spent the money. And I think it's going to come a cropper this season. And what a season to do it. The season when all the money's coming into the Premier League. The season when it's going to be even more difficult to bounce back. And my final point is team cohesion, a lack of trust. That's what I'm going to identify on the pitch. Those players do not trust each other and they are not playing for each other. It's full of players who are either playing to try and get their next move or playing to try and avoid being the one that's pointed at, the blame, the finger of blame. They're, they're trying to keep their head low. And what happens when you try and keep your, your head low and try and keep out of the limelight? You don't do anything special. And that is what Aston Villa are, nothing special. What's disappointing for me is that this has been threatened for a few seasons. I've tipped them to go down for the last two seasons running prior to this one. And I'd really hope that I wouldn't prove to be right. But actually, if you don't fix it, and I'm talking that, that, that this is historic, this amount of rot really going on at Aston Villa is historic. It's been going on for at least two seasons. No, it's about eight seasons. It's about eight seasons that they've been... And I'm not saying that they've eight seasons consistently nearly been relegated, but we're not far off that. Eight seasons they've been in the bottom end mm. of the table. They've not been fighting for anything. Thing. So things not looking good at Aston Villa. I wanted to pick out Newcastle as well, just because Newcastle continue to be such a puzzle for me. They've got such passionate fans, but the flip side of that passion is that they call for the manager's head, I think, sometimes way too soon. Our manager's given enough of a chance at Newcastle, but when you get down to the nitty-gritty of what Steve McLaren's done there, and I was uh, cutting up the manager's press conferences, there was Remy Gard, who basically turned around to the press and said, do you think I'm crazy? Like, like you know, really attacking. There was Sam Allardyce, who basically basically said, I thought I was going to have a nice Mother's Day, but I'm going to be crying into my glass of wine now. I mean, he was his body language was hysterical. And he was sort of slothed sort of back in his chair with his big rotund belly sticking out, just, you know, quipping about Mother's Day and crying into his wine and how the players had basically turned it all to kind of ruin. But when I look more intensely at Newcastle, who, as I said, are on 19th place, 24 points from 28 games, when you look at what they outlaid in the summer, that was kind of around £80 million. And then in January, £12 million for John Joe Shelby, Andros Townsend came in as well. So, you know, if you're talking about backing, financial backing, they have had it this season. So that's not an argument that McLaren McLaren can use. I think you've got to look at the argument about whether McLaren is a good coach or a good manager. And I think that now people are saying and have done for perhaps a, 
a little while that he's a great coach, but actually he's not a great manager. How crazy is that, that we're saying that about a manager? Um, he's a great coach, not a great manager, yet this man was England manager. And well, it was exactly yeah. the same then. He is a great coach, but he's not a great manager. Well, he came into that off the back of the success with Middlesbrough, and I think it's taken this long perhaps for people to work it out. I don't know. What the fans are particularly annoyed about is the fact that they don't feel that the players understand that they need to perform their maximum every week. They need to give 100% for that team. And it's such an age-old adage. But when you look at Newcastle play, is that a team of players fighting and aware of what is at risk? Newcastle fans want to see effort. They want to see 10 out of 10. They want to see a fighting team. And that fight isn't there at the moment. And when your manager at the end of the game, Steve McLaren, turns around and says well, yeah, we're basically going to get relegated if this carries on. That's not inspiring speak, is it? You want to hear about the fight. You want to hear about the drive. Graham Carr, I'll give him a quick mention as well, been so key to Newcastle's recruitment of players for so many years. He signed a 12-year contract a couple of years ago, Graham Carr. That's how valued he is to the club. But they've bought in this new policy in January where they've basically got a strategy of recruiting from kind of local routes rather than from abroad, which is where they've always got the best of their picks. I don't understand quite why that strategy was changed. Perhaps someone can elaborate for me. But the players that they have bought in, Mitrovic, Tovin, they've just not been inspiring enough and they've spent decent amounts of money on those players as well. Wijnaldum, he's been great in flashes but not been consistent. They are really lacking Newcastle those players that will pick up for them time and time again. When you're talking about Ronaldo, I think he's a very special talent. I, I wanted him at the time for Serie A. And it's things like this that make me think, is it really the players not giving everything or are, just, are they just really badly coached? Yeah, I think, I think there are some talented players there who aren't performing as they should be because the manager isn't managing the players properly. Mm. And there isn't, again, a bit like Villa, a cohesive understanding between those players as to what their gameplay is, as to what they should be doing. Well, my other team are Norwich, <laughs> and I'm saying this slightly through gritted teeth that I'm saying they're going down because actually in an earlier podcast, I tipped that they'd stay up. <laughs> um, and the reason why I did it, I think it was after all the January transfer window, they bought in Stephen Naismith. Five new signings, right? Yeah, exactly. And I thought that a lot of those signings were good ones. And I also thought that the home form would keep Norwich up because everyone knows that it can be a bit of a fortress for them. Everyone having to go out to East Anglia, they don't like it most of the time. And that home form and the home atmosphere, I thought would see them through. But the reason why I'm saying Norwich to go down now is blipping home form. That's not been going great. Real lack of goals. And the problem is, if you're not scoring, you're not winning. And at this point of the season, draws aren't going to be enough. People need to acquire a few wins. And just... Players not gelling, those players that were bought in, the, the ones that I got really excited over. Again, this might be a coaching thing, but they're not gelling. And I think if you make that comparison to a team like Watford, where Sanchez Flores has really got players of all nationalities working for one sole cause, he's got it right. Whatever he's doing, find that model, go over to Bell Lane in North London, get your binoculars out and find out what the hell he's doing to get those players playing for each other. But what he's doing is doing it well. And Alex Neal's not getting that effect with the players gelling for him. It's such a shame with Alex Neal though because he was doing so well and it was such a nice story and, and that's what's so painful about all this is that a team can go on a good run a good solid run and do good things in that league and it really doesn't take much for them to come sort of tumbling down and once you get in those relegation places it's so hard at this stage of the season with nine games to go it's so hard to try and scratch your way out of it. 
Well, when you're talking about Sanchez Flores, for example, at Watford, I think it's not just really the effort of just the coach, but as a whole, if I'm honest. And I think that means like from the very top to the very bottom, when you all work together, they have such a good setup there. I mean, if it's anything like Udinese, they dine together, they have breakfast together. They, there's a genuine support system so people can always help you. But if it's all down to the coach, it can be really hard. But if we are going to go around Europe, then obviously I'm going to start off with Italy. It looks like it's going to be Elas Verona, who only managed their first win once someone at the end of January um, or beginning of February. Elas Verona for Italy is a, is a very big club. Even when they were in Serie B, they had one of the largest supports, always going to the stadium, which, you know, we have stadium issues and not many fans show up. But this is a team that always had a lot of onlookers and a lot of fans. So it's a big shame if they do go down. And, and I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that Luca Toni, who is their striker, and we know him because he's a well-journeyed man, he had scored 22 goals last season, top scorer alongside Mauro Icardi in Serie A, especially for his age. It's something rather phenomenal. But he's only managed um, five, I think, this season. He's only made 16 appearances. So that's obviously a huge thing. They've only scored 24 goals because of that, which is only two more than he managed last season, all on his own. And then 12 of those goals, so half of those exactly have come from set pieces, three of which they scored against Inter. They're just a little bit void of competitive nastiness at the moment, and they can't avoid conceding avoidable goals and that for me is a huge sign of we've just given up so they know very well that they're going down and there's nothing that you can do even though they've changed coaches the other two which are sadly probably heading down are Frosinone and Carpi who were historically promoted last season and they're just two such nice little clubs in the sense that they both have so much energy they're both aggressive they're really enjoying their time in Serie A but they don't really have the quality required to play at the top mm-hmm. flight which is, is, is quite sad because both coaches so Fabrizio Castori of Carpi and uh, Stellone or Frosinone they, they don't have the resources but uh, while Carpi just can't score the goals and they're absolutely terrible from set pieces they can't even you know turn one they lost their top scorer and Marco Borriello who left for Atalanta in the transfer market the wrong thing to do but they can't defend on the wings they get overwhelmed in the middle and they can't score goals so not sure what they're supposed to do as for Frosinone they just again don't have genuine quality in the side and they have the worst defensive record in Serie A ideally I'd like to see Atalanta go down and they're quite close to it as well just because they've had 12 red cards this season they're just bad to be honest watching them at least they're good defensively they played against Juventus over the weekend that was never going to be a win but they just don't even try going Mm. forward so in La Liga we have Levante who the interesting thing about the Spanish league is that it's so up and down so you could be one day in the relegation one day you're aiming for Europa League it's it's one of those there's so few points separating the rest of the pack and that, that those not in top three but the one that has been a constant is Levante which is a little bit sad they changed their coach um, Lucas Alcaraz was sacked in October and they brought in Ruby despite more spirited performances from the team they're still rock bottom bad transfer market campaign youth haven't really lived up to their potential they bought in Giuseppe Rossi do you remember we did that thing where we looked at that and we thought that maybe he might inspire them to more but it looks like when he actually came in their top scorer in Davison stopped scoring it almost seemed like a psychological blur but since the last two weeks he's actually started to do something they Rossi provided the assist um, for for the for the striker to score a goal against uh, Real Madrid and, uh, and uh, he's also managed it against Real Sociedad. So, but it looks like Levante is on their way down. And because we're running out of time, I'm going to get you to pick one other league, Mina, with the team most likely to go down. It's going to have to be in the Bundesliga and it's Hanover. They've just got a bad attack and they've got a bad defence and I can't see a way out for them right now. Hi, I'm Matt Letizia and you're listening to the Offside Rule 
Three girls talking about football. Uh, Mother's Day on Sunday. Just some little tidbits, really, I guess, on players and their mums. Linz, do you want to get us started? I'm going to start with the most famous one I could find, and then we'll go a little bit more <laughs> obscure. Um, Mama Messi. <laughs> I love this. Mama Messi takes no messing. <laughs> You can imagine having this really talented son as a footballer goes on to be the best footballer in the world. He brings home a lady. And can you imagine being Messi's girlfriend to meet the parents? Because they're going to be a little raised eyebrow, aren't they? Is she just after his money? <laughs> Is she just after the fame? Anyway, that happened. He brought back a girlfriend who apparently they thought, I don't know whether it was the case, had sold a story to a magazine. She found this out. She chased her with a frying pan. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. So but I love Mama Messi. Is he the one that he's with now? No, this is when he was much younger. Oh, much, much yeah. younger. I think he was only about 20 years old at the time, something like that. I think she found her in a department store and the press cutting goes that the girlfriend of Messi said that she'd literally turn around and the mother was chasing her with a frying pan and oh a phone from the electricals department or something. <laughs> <laughs> she literally picked up some household goods for sale and started chasing her. her. <laughs> There's quite a famous one out there from Emmanuel Adebayor, who by all accounts, there's been a bit of a family feud in the Adebayor household. All is not well in the uh, picture of family harmony. He, in 2014, basically um, accused his mother of practising black magic on him. Witchcraft. Things not so good. I'm guessing that there wasn't so much Mother's Day activity going on there. I'm going to go with, well, I have two, which I've got to talk about, James Rodriguez, if we have a chance, because yeah. his mother's definitely my inspiration for life. But one that I want to quickly mention is Quaresma, because he has his mum's name tattooed on his forearm, like huge huge letters, Fernanda. And then on his left calf, he's got her picture, <laughs> like her face on his what? left calf. Yeah. And she's also his screensaver, just in case you were what? wondering. He is absolutely obsessed with her and largely the reason he became a footballer. He actually wanted to play hockey instead of football because that's what everyone did in his neighbourhood. And she wouldn't let him. She thought it was too violent. And then she ushered him into the whole world of football and his career took off. I picked this next one on purpose just for Kate because it's a player, it's a mum who dissed Liverpool. <laughs> um, being a Liverpool fan, I thought you might quite like to be reminded of this. When Paul Koncheski played for Leicester City, his mum went crazy at Liverpool fans because they were giving him stick. And I don't know if you remember, but she went on Facebook, as all mums do, um, <laughs> and said, the Liverpool scum don't know class when it hits them in the face, wanting to protect her son. Um, then she then got a bit personal. Uh, she said, that and the fact family wouldn't be moving up north anyway to live closer to Paul as we don't like the way they talk. <laughs> oh, my God. Talk about alienating half of England. Crikey. Do you know that Robbie Savage's mum has got a really lovely portrait of her son hanging up at home? You might have to look this up, folks. Robbie Savage's mum and the picture of Robbie that sits, I presume, above her fireplace. Mina Rizuki, if you were going to sum this up, this particular picture, and guys, you'll just have to bear with us on this one. It is a picture of Robbie Savage with his long hair flowing. He looks like he's a character from a bad Barbara Cartland novel. He, he, he's got his tattoos with, 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 with the cross, kind of and his arm across his chest. He's bare-chested and he's got his hair flowing. Have you got to sum this picture up in a couple of words, Mina? I, I don't know. I think it all looks a bit incestuous, the way that she's holding on to it, like he's the greatest thing since sliced bread. I'm... I don't know. It looks, well, she probably does think wrong. he's the greatest thing. Yeah, it, it, it does look slightly wrong. Robbie Savage's mum's picture, please look it up. 
Um, I just wanted to quickly talk about James Rodriguez because his mother is Maria del Pira Rubio. Why do you love her so much? Well, basically, this is it. He isn't like all the other footballers where he grew up, like, you know, trying to make a football out of a tennis ball and practicing his skills in, in you know, the favelas or anything like that. He actually grew up as a middle class, you know, nice boy who had like personal tutoring. She walked away from her husband. They separated when he was only three at the time. His stepfather, so the man that she married, is the one who took him along to football academy she noticed that he loved football and she understood that's not something that she really wanted for him but rather than discourage him she made sure that he was going to be the best footballer that there ever was she followed him from city to city she was constantly there for him she hired people that would be able to bring out the best in him so he had the best teachers her and, and her husband worked so hard to produce a boy that was well-mannered who always prepared well who overcame his stutter because she made sure that he did because he had all these problems growing up he was he didn't speak properly and, and took him away from an environment where his, his uncle, for example, his father's brother was shot dead. And so she wanted to take him away from all of that and give him the best life that she could. And she has. I don't know. I find her beacon in and Pais, you know, in all these newspapers dedicate article upon article as to what a good mother she is. That's a very heartwarming story, isn't it? Um, I'm going to finish with a quick one from Sado Berahino when he was trying desperately to get away from West Brom. What did he do? He wheeled his mother in to speak to the children chairman there instead nice one if all else fails bring mom in to try and help you away from the club um thank you very much Lindsay hooper thank you and mina rizuki as well thanks thanks for joining us again oh thank you for having me don't forget to check out the website offsiderulepodcast.com and our twitter account at offsiderulepod there's a facebook page and a youtube channel to enjoy as well don't forget us every thursday via audio boom and itunes we'll see you soon bye The offside rule, we get it, is brought to you by Continental Tyres. Sports Social Podcast Network. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions. Supply.